Ryder and Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I am your host, Joe Lozito. This is episode 36, and um, hopefully the pattern continues. I know um, a few episodes ago, I, I told you that I was going to do some solo episodes, and the idea was to have uh, an interview followed by a solo episode, followed by an interview, followed by a solo, and so on and so on and so on. And... Um, I did that season's episode, and then I was fortunate enough to get Blair Riley on here, and that interview, uh, I thought Blair was awesome. Uh, thanks to everybody for the feedback. Uh, today, we're going to do another season's episode, and I have an interview lined up on Tuesday, so I feel really good the way things are progressing with the show. Uh, the guests that I've reached out to, uh, they are not only are they answering back, they're actually showing up for the chat, so... Uh, Hopefully this continues, and um, I'll have to come up with another idea. I, I don't want to uh, kind of like drill these seasons episode down episodes down your throat. I don't want to wear them out. Although uh, the feedback I've received so far has been very positive, and actually uh, this episode today is by special request. So, uh, um, so I don't I don't want to force feed these seasons episodes to you and uh, they kind of get stale so um, I actually do have another idea for uh, a different type of episode uh, which I which would involve other people and I'm going to reach out to one of them this week I think so uh, hopefully I can kind of mix it up a little bit and um, and bring you some variety and, and keep the show uh, fresh and exciting but uh, but thank you to Blair Riley and thank you to my guests that, that I will be speaking to on Tuesday that you'll hear a week from today. Uh, we can keep this uh, keep this going, then uh, it'll be a very happy time for me and uh, bring you some good content. And, uh, you know, like I said, keep the show fresh, keep it from getting stale. And uh, like I said, the most important thing is to bring you content every week. So, uh, so, so far, so good. I'm in a really good mood today. Uh, in a few hours, the Bills are going to smack the Patriots around. And, uh, you know, just looking forward to it. Uh, really positive day for me here. So, uh, so I want to keep this going. So, as I said, this is episode 36. It is another Seasons in Review episode. And today, the episode that I'm going to bring to you is a good one. Uh, not because of me, because of the player. And we're going to discuss Eric Cairns 2001-02 season. And uh, this was a pretty big season for Eric, pretty big season for the Islanders. And uh, there were especially, there were some big moments in the season for Eric. And um, 
you know, it's uh, it's something that I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you about because uh, Eric and I have been friends for a long time. Eric will be on the show at some point. Um, I don't know when, but Eric is a man of his word, and we have discussed it. And uh, it, it may not be; it may be later rather than sooner. To be honest with all of you people, um, it may be later rather than sooner. But I can promise you this. Um, uh, right now, in terms of of content, in terms of hours logged in, uh, Mick Vakoda and I did seven plus hours, and um, not really sure anyone else would come close to that. But as I was even uh, researching this one season for Kernzy, um, when we eventually do sit down, this could be another uh, time where if we don't hit Vakoda type numbers in terms of hours, it'll be close. Uh, so, uh, I'm really looking forward to, I'm going to say the conversations that I have with Eric, because there's no way in hell, uh, I'm going to be able to corral him to sit down for <laughs> seven hours or so. So it might be multiple sit downs, but I'm really looking forward to it. So, but today we're going to focus on his 2001-02 season. And, uh, if you're wondering right now, Hey, who did he fight that year? Uh, I'll bring you up to speed in a few moments. Uh, but first whatever platform you are listening to this show on. And if it, if it is your first time, thank you for joining me. Um, buckle up. I think it's a pretty good show, and um, I think you'll enjoy yourself. If you're an Islanders fan, if you're a hockey fight fan, I think you'll enjoy this program. So, um, you know, enjoy yourself, and I hope that you come back. And for those of you who are returning listeners, thanks very much. Uh, you pretty much know what the show is about. You know what you're going to get. And uh, the fact that you know all that and you came back is awesome. So uh, everybody out there on the other end uh, of this microphone that I'm speaking on right now that is uh, is our listening, uh, thank you very much. It means the world to me. Uh, but if you could also do me a favor, and if you could please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to, could you like it, rate, and review the show? It helps grow the show, and I think what happens is the more likes, the more subscriptions, the more uh, ratings and reviews, uh, I think it shows up in searches. And, uh, you know, we can't just, listen, we can't hog the show all for ourselves. Let's kind of let's let's broaden the horizons. Maybe open up some other people's eyes uh, to the show, and uh, and you can help me do that by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. So uh, if you could take a few seconds to do that, that'd be great. Plus, like I said, with the subscriptions, when I publish the show, I'm going to publish the show today, which is Sunday. I'll probably set it for around two thirty, three o'clock. Uh, once I do that, it'll immediately be available to you as a subscriber. Uh, it seems like most of the platforms get it uh, out there within an hour or so, and Apple, for some reason, takes several hours. So um, if even if you're on Apple, iTunes, Apple, whatever it is, um, if you subscribe, you get it immediately. If not, and you, you have to wait basically 24 hours or so. I'm not really sure why, and I'm not really sure if that happens to everybody else, but it, it happens to me. So um, if you subscribe, though, you get the content almost immediately. So, uh, so you know, give that some thought. If you're on social media, please consider following me on Twitter. Uh, I have two Twitter accounts, at Joe underscore Lozito is my personal Twitter, and at Kali Sinbin Pod is the show's Twitter. Uh, if you follow me, I will follow you back. 
um, personal Twitter, not really too much serious stuff on there. I'm, I'm kind of private when it comes to my private life and, uh, I kind of leave it to sports and, you know, entertainment, things like that, uh, on my, uh, on my personal Twitter. Um, and the show Twitter is basically Islander enforcer related stuff. So, um, it's kind of low key in terms of some people's social media and the nonsense that you see on it all the time. But, uh, like I said, if you follow me, I'll give you a follow back. If you're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. Again, similar to the Twitter for the show, um, Islander enforcer type stuff, pictures, birthdays, uh, fun facts, maybe a blast from the past picture. I've been known to uh, throw a picture or two up there from uh, old Springfield Indians days. I'm a big, you know, obviously if you know me, you know, I'm a big fan of the old Indian stuff. Um, you know, again, nothing too serious compared to what you see on Facebook, especially nowadays with the the election coming up and uh, all the experts. And I do that in air quotes. Uh, they they um, you know they vote based on memes that they see or um, what other people say or whatever. So uh, so you're not going to get any of that on my on my Facebook feed for the show. Uh, similarly, on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. Uh, again. Same kind of stuff as the Facebook page and my uh, Twitter page for the show, Islander Enforcer content. Basically, that's about it. And, um, you know, like I said, nothing too heavy. There's millions of other accounts for that kind of nonsense. So uh, if you kind of like your social media as a sort of a break from reality, I imagine my, my accounts are for you, especially if you like the Islanders and hockey fights. Uh, I have merchandise and if you follow me on any of my social media, you saw me post a picture of my dad, uh, I sent my dad some merchandise, uh, shirt and some mugs and stuff. And, uh, he took a picture, uh, and sent it to me wearing the shirt and the mug and, uh, kind of made me smile. It was good to see, uh, the patriarch there with the, uh, with the merchandise. So I posted that picture and if you want to look as good as my dad, in uh Coliseum Chronicles merchandise, go to teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen chronicles hyphen merch. Or you can just scroll to the bottom of the episode description on the platform you're listening to right now, and there is a link to the merchandise store. And um as I've said before, um the, every everything you need is on there. Uh, it's getting a little crisp here on the East coast. So, uh, people like, uh, it's sweatshirt weather, it's hoodie weather. Um, and some people don't like the hoodies. Um, they just like the regular, I guess, are they crew neck sweatshirts? I don't even know. Uh, the, the hoodless sweatshirts are available. The hoodies are available. Uh, if you're like me and, uh, you wear short sleeves all year, uh, year round, I have t-shirts on there, uh, tank tops, uh, I have uh, blankets on there. I think they're blankets or towels or both. I'm not even sure. I have uh, flags. I have socks, totes, phone cases, masks. Uh, basically, anything you can put my awesome logo on, you can buy it at the store. And um, I've been doing some listener-exclusive uh, discounts lately. And this is the third week that I will do it. I know some people have taken advantage of it. Thank you very much. So uh, this week what we'll, we'll do. And I, and I'm, I'm so stupid. This is the third week in a row. I didn't have a discount ready and I put it in after the uh, show. That's what she said, or I guess he said, uh, so the discount code this week will be E train E T R A I N E train. That discount will be good for 20% off any merchandise in the store for one week. 
So uh, that is a listener exclusive discount. I will not be promoting that on social media. So if you're one of the fine people who listens to this program and are interested in some merchandise, please use the E-Train discount for 20% off your next purchase. And when you go to that store and you see that logo and why I'm so pumped and I take so much pride in that logo is because I didn't draw it. I couldn't do that in my wildest dreams. The guy who did draw my logo, local Long Island artist, Joe Marisich. You could reach Joe for all your art needs. He is available for hire. He has uh, done some Mets stuff lately. He's a big Mets fan, and he's happy that the team was sold. Um, I don't remember the guy's name who bought them, but he's basically a savior because uh, the Mets have been so poorly managed over the last few decades, and the owners were shitheads. So um, so he's put out a lot of uh, new art with the new owner. And you can reach Joe at GraphicsJoker on Twitter and at LoudEgg.com. And he does more than tunes. My logo is a tune logo, but he does actual art as well. And I don't, I don't want to say actual art because to me, tunes are art too, especially the stuff that Joe does are pretty insane. But when I say actual art, I mean like, I guess, uh, realism. Things like that. I guess if you're into art, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not into art, I guess you also know what I'm talking about. But basically, Joe is not limited to one style. So check out his stuff on Twitter. Check out his stuff at loudegg.com and uh, hire him because he's very talented and he will definitely give you what you need. Speaking of getting what you need, are you looking to get into shape? Well, Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. The gym is open seven days a week. They have classes for men, for women, for kids. Basically, every sort of living human being on the planet, they have a class for you. Uh, private training sessions are all also available. Uh, there, This gym has uh, you know, something for everybody here. Uh, professional fighters train at this gym. Guys like John Volante, Gregor Gillespie, Andre Harrison, Chris Algieri, Adam Kaunachki. They all train at this gym. But who else trains at the gym? Regular people like you and me. It's not a gym that caters solely to professional fighters. Um, for every professional fighter that's there, there's probably 50 or so regular people. It's just a, it's a nice neighborhood gym that has everything you need, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. So if you're interested, definitely look them up online, BelmoreKickboxingMMA.com. They're located at 2551 Merrick Road in Belmore. The phone number is 516-679-5997. Um, ask for Keith Trimble. And when you speak to Keith, tell him that you heard about the gym on the show and you will get one free class. Could be for you. Could be for your significant other. Could be for your child. It doesn't matter. Uh, definitely give them a call. Ask for Keith. Say, hey, Keith, I heard about the gym on the Coliseum Chronicles podcast. And uh, Joe said I can get one free class by mentioning it. Take the class, and uh, I'm sure you'll sign up. The gym is a fantastic place. Great people that uh, are owners and trainers there. And the, and the membership, it's like you're a part of a family. So I can't stress that enough. Definitely get your free class, and I'm sure you'll join. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA Train where the champions train. So just a few more items, a few more uh, shows I'd like to uh, recommend to you if you enjoy this show and you're not strictly an Islanders fan, but you like the hockey fight realm in general. Uh, the guy who started it all is my friend Darren in Saskatoon. He has the Fourth Line Voice podcast. 
his latest episode, and I'm saying latest because he will release an episode later today. I just don't know who it's going to be. So this episode was released last Wednesday. It was with former Sound Tiger, Adam Huxley. Now, Darren, uh, he just obviously doesn't discuss the Sound Tigers. He, he basically went through Huxley's entire career. Uh, I say Sound Tiger because if you're listening to this, you might be Islander-focused. And Huxley is someone you may or may not have heard of, uh, but he did play for the Sound Tigers, but his career was pretty amazing. And he's a great storyteller. The episode was fantastic, so I would definitely uh, invest a few hours in it and uh, and listen to it. And um, Darren releases two episodes a week on Sundays and Wednesdays, and the Sunday episode is a From the Vault episode from his old website that uh, went down at some point and we thought he was going to pack it in. Uh, but the hockey podcast network rescued Darren from the ashes, propped him up and uh, gave him a platform for his fantastic show. And they brought back the, from the vault and last week's from the vault episode was with yours. Truly. It was an episode that Darren and I recorded two years ago. Um, but I I re-listened to it. I actually think it was it was a pretty good episode. Um, you know, him and I have known each other for a very long time, going back to the message board days, uh, hockey fight message board days, and we've traded tapes and everything else. And uh, we had a fun conversation. We talk about some Islander stuff. We talk about my days at Fleer and um, you know, uh, being a part of uh, some mag, the Tough Guys magazine, being a part of a Stan Fischler book. Uh, and then of course we go into the, uh, the subway incident a little bit. So, um, there's a little bit of something there for everybody. So definitely check out fourth line voice, uh, listen to the Adam Huxley episode and then go back and listen to the, uh, from the vault with myself from two years ago. And also Darren has a YouTube channel, the fourth line voice, YouTube channel. I always say it. If you've watched the hockey fight on YouTube, but chances are it was on the fourth line voice channel. The Bucket Drop Podcast. So I'm going to promote this, but I actually have been meaning to reach out to Bobby to find out if he's going to continue with the show. He has uh, discontinued his uh, Twitter, which is where I would usually direct you because Bobby was doing something where he was selling Bucket Drop hats and the profits were going to help child abuse survivors, but he's discontinued his Twitter. So I'm not really sure where that stands. I'm going to assume that his show is going to continue starting in 2021. Uh, so definitely go on your platform and look up the Bucket Drop podcast. Uh, Bobby, I believe, did 50 episodes. So check out his archives before 2021, and uh, hopefully he'll be hitting us up with some fresh new episodes starting in January. And keep an eye out for his Twitter. I don't know if he's going to start that up again because, like I said, he was uh, he was doing something really nice for child abuse survivors. So uh, just keep an eye on that. And the Five for Fighting podcast, which I believe is returning this week. Uh, Alec was in the process of a move, which I believe is done. And then I think he went somewhere for a wedding. So he hasn't really put anything out as of late, but I believe he has recorded a new episode. And I believe it is coming out this week. So definitely uh, check that out. And uh, while you're waiting for that, definitely check out his archives. He's had some amazing guests on. And... Um, you know, it the cool thing about Alec's show and what makes it a little different than my show and Darren's show is Alec is a lot younger. He's just a pup. I think he's twenty three or so. So you're you're getting the uh, enforcer fan perspective from a baby, from uh, from young Alec, who um, you know, guys like Darren and myself, we we lived through it. 
We saw a lot of it firsthand. And Alec is, you know, he's kind of, I don't want to say playing catch up, but unfortunately for him, the way the game has changed, he's not seeing a lot of it firsthand. So he's, he's, oh, he's a huge fan. He's, he's done the DVD stuff and he's done his research. So he's, he's seeing it from the eyes of a kid, you know, and I say kid because I'm 27 years his senior, if he is 23. So, uh, so it brings a different kind of perspective than say what, what I say or what Darren says, we're all on the same page. We all agree about everything pretty much, especially about the role, but Alec is kind of a unicorn amongst uh, people in his age group because so many of uh, hockey fans in, in his age group, of course, are the new age fans that think fighting is bad and hitting is bad and mean words are bad and everything else. So uh, Alec is kind of a breath of fresh air. So definitely check out the Five for Fighting podcast. Also, if you are on Facebook, Alec is the master of two pages. The Enforcer Appreciation page, which I uh, I would highly recommend you checking out. I think there's twelve or thirteen thousand members on there. Uh, plenty of ex Enforcers. There's always some good stories being told on there. There's uh, tremendous photos being put up every day, and uh, some fun Enforcer conversation. Check that out. And also, if you're a fan or collector or both of the uh, Quebec Senior Leagues, the QSPHL or the LNEH, he recently started a page for. Uh, the the gear the game worn jerseys and gear for those two leagues the quebec senior leagues and uh that seems to be picking up a little steam lately i have one jersey i have an old i have a mike bray jersey from his time up in the quebec league i should take pictures of that and post it uh i don't have too much of that stuff i'd love to get a joel terrio jersey i think uh out of all the guys who've played up there, Terrio is is probably my favorite. I, I got to meet Joel once while he was with the Citadels, and he was a really cool guy. Him, Gordy Dwyer, and myself had hot dogs uh, in the last row of the Springfield Civic Center during a game as they were both scratches. But uh, Joel was awesome, really cool guy, and uh, he's just an absolute beast out there on the ice. So I guess if I was going to ha- say there was a Quebec League jersey I'd, I'd want, it would probably be Joel Terrio. So maybe one day uh, I can look into that. But, uh, but for now, I have the one, the Mike Bray, uh, former Islander draft pick, and maybe I'll post that on there, but definitely check it out. Uh, you know, Alec and Bobby and Darren do some great things and, uh, check out their shows and check out all the extracurricular stuff on YouTube and Facebook. Just a few more things I want to point out. Uh, anyone who, who knows me, um, or, or if you've listened, you know that I, I mentioned that I lived in Philadelphia for 10 years. And uh, to me, Philly is a second home. I love, I love Philadelphia. And uh, we've been, we've been out of there for, I think about 10 years now we've been, we've been gone and, and the city has undergone a lot of changes and it's not, to me, it's not for the better. It's similar to the nonsense that's going on here in New York city. And there was an incident recently in Philadelphia, and uh, I just want to send my thoughts out to the fine people down there that have nothing to do with any of it. And, you know, maybe their buildings are being lit on fire or their businesses are being shut down uh, because that is a normal reaction to things. And I say that as I roll my eyes, but uh, uh, I don't exactly know what's going on down there. you know, I guess, like I said, it's similar to New York City. We're actually heading down there in, in a few weeks to see some friends. And uh, fortunately, I think the area that uh, that we used to live and, and the area that we're going to visit, I think that's still pretty much the way it was. But I think the city as a whole is undergoing some, some pretty drastic changes. And like I said, not for the better. So for anyone down there that's listening, 
anyone in Philadelphia, my thoughts and prayers are with you because uh, it doesn't seem like it's a good situation going on down there. Um, and also, as you know, I'm not a fan of analytics in any sport. And uh, I guess because my show is a weekly show, a lot of the stuff you're hearing is old news, but I, I, that's why I won't go into it too much. Uh, but how about that World Series? Uh, how about Tampa just bending over and, and giving it to the Dodgers because of analytics? You got their pitcher that's just rolling, and uh, he gives up a hit, and that's it, and they take him out And uh, because that's what the chart says. Take him out. He gave up a hit. And uh, the guy's just steamrolling Dodgers. And, uh, but, but that's analytics for you. And uh, it's funny because I shit on analytics. I think it's a good tool, but it's just a small part. And they, all these teams now, especially in baseball, Jesus, you don't even need a manager anymore. Uh, you just need a guy with a calculator and graph paper and pencils, maybe a compass and a protractor. But um, uh, to me, baseball, is, it's just ruined by analytics. And uh, I love the movie Moneyball. I do, and that's that's the ironic part about it. I love Moneyball. It's one of my favorite movies. But even in Moneyball, what happened? The, the A's went as far as they could go. Oh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it or follow the sport, you might want to turn off the show for a second. But the A's went as far as they could go, and then they lost in the playoffs. So um, these analytics-based teams, eh, I don't know. But uh, I just found it amusing um, that – you know, this guy, this manager of Tampa, you know, you can't just go with your eyes. Like you got a pitcher that's doing really well, but you take him out because that's what the chart says. And then look what happens. The Dodgers are champions. And how about what's his name on the Dodgers that tested positive uh, for COVID during the game? And uh, what's his name? Turner got used to be with the Mets, I think. And uh, when the Dodgers win, he doesn't give a fuck. He just goes out and celebrates that. I'd be interested to know what the teammates thought about that, but uh um, you know, whatever, not my team. I don't care. You know, I don't know anybody with the Dodgers. Um, but it's, just, I'd be curious to know, uh, what his teammates thought about that. Obviously in the moment, you don't give a shit, but, but the weird part about the, uh, the thing that I'm saying with the analytics and how you don't really need a manager, the White Sox hired Tony La Russa this week, which is funny. I think he's 107 years old. And, uh, I kind of, I normally would like, I guess I do. I like the old school guys. And, uh, I think it's cool that the White Sox are going back into their past for, uh, Tony La Russa. Uh, La Russa is a guy I used to respect. I don't know if I respect him too much. I think he was, I think he played a big part in the McGuire steroids thing because uh, obviously he had McGuire in Oakland and then he had him in St. Louis and, um, you know, McGuire's a cheat, hopefully he never gets in the hall of fame. And, uh, at, I think at the very least, La Russa was an enabler and, you know, so, uh, it, it's difficult for me to not really support a fellow Paisan, uh, La Russa's Italian. I always root for the Italian guys, but, uh, I think he was complicit at the very least in the whole McGuire cheating thing. So I don't really respect him too much. And I really don't know how he's going to fit in into the new analytics age of baseball. And I'm not going to follow it. Uh, I don't really wa I didn't watch an inning of baseball this year, not even my favorite team. So I'm not going to follow it. I just found it uh, an interesting little tidbit. Moving on to hockey, there was some pretty big news in hockey this week. So the Coyotes, um, they drafted a guy called Mitchell Miller. Called that's his name, uh, Mitchell Miller. And the funny thing about this is, so Mitchell Miller, he was uh, actually charged. Let me see. I got this. Uh, uh, I got this web page pulled up here. He was uh, he was charged in 2016 uh, for an assault on a special needs kid 
um, where I think I want to say, I guess the worst part of it was uh, him and his buddies, they kind of put a a ring pop or or one of the, I I think a lollipop sort of thing uh, in a urinal or something and and they watched the kid eat it and and I guess they were just uh just brutal to this to this kid you know special needs kid or not uh you know it, it's just despicable what he did and I guess the other other people apologized the other people involved they apologized and and Miller never did and um I guess uh, I, you know the, to me there's two parts of this everybody knew I mean these teams do their due diligence and everybody all the teams knew about it and um, teams passed on this guy because of that, and the Coyotes didn't. They draft they drafted him in the third round, and um, you know the Coyotes went on this whole big thing about how they want to be the organization, the new type of organization where they they kind of set new new high standards and they want to do this and they want to do that. And and I think that they had said they wanted to work with uh, uh, Mitchell here and uh, try to get him whatever you know, help or, you know, try to work with them through this type thing. And, um, and then what happens, what always happens, social media took over. And, uh, once that happened, it blew up and then the coyotes cut bait. And now I see that, um, North Dakota, the school that Miller goes to here, they're cutting bait with them too. They're not going to allow him to play on the hockey team. Uh, they're going to allow him to still be a student, but they're going to, they cut him from the hockey team. And I guess the thing I have, uh, by the way, I have no objection to anybody that has an issue with this kid because what he did is absolutely reprehensible and um, there's no excuse for it. You know, I've seen a lot of things where I talk about the parenting and I think where the parenting comes in. I mean, I don't know anything about this, these, this guy's parents. I have some experience myself with being bullied and having, and, and knowing parents of bullies. And, um, you know, usually it does stem from the parents. I think, I don't know what the bigger issue here is, is that, is this kid a bully because he learned it from his parents or did he not apologize because he learned that from his parents? I mean, there are. I, I think all of us as parents have have had our kids do various things in their lives where we said, well, you have to apologize for that. Even if it's something stupid, you just kind of set that foundation where if your kids do something wrong, no matter how small it is, you apologize. You kind of build that foundation where if you're wrong and you know you're wrong, admit it and, and apologize and move on. And this guy never apologized. So I don't have an issue with anybody having a problem with this guy because this happened in 2016, I guess. And, uh, I mean, it's deplorable. It's, it's disgusting. And, um, but he's, he never apologized. So the whole incident, that's the cherry on top. Never, ever apologized to this kid. But here's the other issue I have. So as I was saying, all these teams, the NHL teams, they do their due diligence. Many teams passed on him, but the Coyotes didn't. And they drafted him. And you have to know that at some point, shit comes out and it's going to be all over social media. But you still took him. And then they cave to the pressure. Well, why'd you take him then? I mean, you know in this, I mean, teams have, every professional team, pro, pro, minor pro, you know, junior teams, amateur teams, have a social media 
account, have social media platforms, have social media departments. Isn't that part of it to kind of foresee where it's going to go on social media? They had to know that the shit was going to hit the fan. And that's part of the gig. Even the school, North Dakota. So you cut them from the hockey team? Why? I, I And I know, I shouldn't say why, but I guess it's, I guess the bigger issue is is with the Coyotes. Why did you take them, and why did you make this whole big thing about how you're going to work with them, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to set new standards, but then you cut them once the heat's on? You know, how about holding your ground and say, hey, I agree with you. I agree with everything you said, but we want to work with them. We want to do this. We want to do that. If it's a case where they drafted him, and then they realized, hey, this guy, he just doesn't think he did anything wrong. He, he, we can't work with him. We can't do this. We can't do that. Well, shouldn't you have figured that out before you drafted him, before you wasted a third-round pick? I mean, don't you interview these guys? And you know, don't you find that out before the pick instead of afterwards? So, I mean, my, I guess my issue is I remember when the Eagles signed Michael Vick and there were protests in front of the Eagles practice facility for, I, I guess, a few days. It was pretty heavy. And then I think it just dissipated. And um, the Eagles kind of held their ground and, and Vick became a really productive member for them. And and uh, I know he's done a lot of things, you know, out there to help the, the whole dogfighting thing. And for some people, that will never be enough. And I totally get that. I get it 100%. But where I give the Eagles credit is they kind of figured this is a guy that can help the organization, and they kind of stood their ground. They weren't combative about it, but they just said they're going to work with them, and they're going to do X, Y, and Z, and they're going to work it out, and that was it, and they did. Um, and I just think the Coyotes are, you know, and they just hired Bill Armstrong, former Providence Bruins defenseman, Her Hershey Bears defenseman, tough guy. I don't put this on him. Uh, he's pretty new there. This, to me, this is above his head. Um you know, they just kind of make these proclamations. And then when the heat gets turned on on social media, that's it. They just back down. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of put, put it on them a little bit. Now, that being said, I, I don't want this guy to ever sniff Long Island. I don't want him on the, on the Islanders. I don't want the Islanders to have to deal with a guy like this. Um, and like I said, I think what he did is, is reprehensible. And I think he's a piece of garbage. Um, but don't, you know, if you're the Coyotes, don't make all these special announcements about how you're going to be the gold standard and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And the minute the flame is turned up a bit, you just, uh, you cut bait. So I don't know who knows what's going to happen with this guy. He's not playing hockey anymore. Uh, he definitely has a lot of growing up to do. Uh, I mean, if he hasn't apologized yet now, if he apologizes, you know, it's just horseshit. You know, he doesn't mean it. Uh, he's just doing it for, uh, for appearances, but, uh, you know, fuck, it's just, uh, I want an organization to kind of take a stand against the, uh, the vocal minority on social media. I know social media is a pretty big thing, but keep in mind, there's so many people that don't have it. So it's just the vocal minority. Uh, I don't want to say making waves because it almost sounds like what they did was wrong. And, and I don't think it is. I think everyone has a right to their opinion. And this guy's a scumbag. And I, I want to say he got what was coming to him, but I don't know. Like, I want to see a team do like the Eagles did and kind of take a stand and say, hey, we're going to work with them and we're going to do this and actually mean it. So, but like I said, I don't give a shit if this guy's bagging groceries for the rest of his life. You know, that was a pretty shitty thing he did. And, you know, um, that the kid that he bullied, I, I hope he's doing okay now. And, um, you know, uh, he's really more my concern than, than the kid with the coyotes, uh, you know, 
fuck that guy. Really more concerned with the guy, the kid that was bullied, and I hope uh, I hope he's doing okay. Um, also, the OHL, David Branch strikes again. The OHL announced this week they are going to play, I think they said February, and it's funny because I didn't even really look at their date that they were going to play, but they announced that they are going to have no hitting. Now, David Branch has been someone that has been uh, at the forefront for years about violence and fighting and blah, blah, blah. He's just, he's such a white knight. And now, I guess under the guise or using COVID as a, I want to say an excuse, um, there's no hitting in the OHL this year. Now, keep in mind, we just went through an NHL bubble scenario where they had hitting and they had fighting too. And if you remember, when the the playoffs first started, there were, you know, they did the traditional line at the end of the series, and it was just fist bumps with your gloves on. And then a series or two in, all of a sudden, it became gloves off, handshakes, and hugs. And everyone survived. Everyone was okay. So you had multiple series, and obviously for Tampa and Dallas, I guess they had the most. Um, multiple series where guys hit and fight and yelled at each other fight hit and fought and yelled at each other and then when it was all over they shook hands and bro hugged and everyone was okay but branch ah, he's kind of a snake i guess you know he's always uh you know the anti-fighting uh wizard and uh well due to covid we can't have hitting <laughs> I mean, listen, it doesn't affect me. I don't get the OHL games here down on Long Island. Uh, but if I was if I was a season ticket holder or even the guy that went to the games, I'd be pretty pissed. Like, what what are you doing? I mean, the the nature, the part of what makes hockey the game that it is and the beautiful game that it is is that there's so many elements to it. Uh, it's elegant and violent all at the same time. And there's a certain artistry to it. But like I said, there's also a violent aspect to it. And I know that there's so many people out there now that are getting in touch with all their sides. And, uh, you know, they want everything to be hugs and kisses and unicorns and rainbows. But there's there's many people, and I would say the majority of people that like, even if they don't like fighting, they like the hitting in hockey. And uh, now he's eliminating it. So I don't know how well that's going to go over. It'll be interesting to uh, to see. But, uh, but again, I mean, he's a fraud, you know, you want to use COVID as a, as a reason to not have hitting I and mean, come on, you just had the NHL go through their whole playoffs with hitting and fighting and handshaking and bro hugs and, and everyone's okay. So, uh, ah, he's a fraud, you know, he's always been a fraud. Uh, he's always been self-serving and, uh, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting. I'll definitely keep an eye from a distance on how the OHL progresses because I don't know a single person that thinks that thinks this is a good idea. But I guess because I don't know Branch, but uh, it's it's just idiotic. So uh, last two things, Islander related. Uh, the Islanders signed Josh Hosang, I think, a one year deal, and uh, it was met with a lot of shock and dismay. I would say on social media, people are not really uh, not really happy with it. Uh, I mean, he's a guy, listen, uh, Hosang is a guy with so much talent, but he's also had a lot of controversy, self-inflicted controversy. I'm not going to say it follows him because he's done it to himself. Um, 
I'm surprised that they're they're taking a flyer on him. I mean, it's really a no risk thing because I think if he plays in the minors, he's not making a whole bunch of money. And if he makes the NHL team, I mean, he's going to have to do a lot to make the Islanders. And if he makes the Islanders, he he will have proven himself to Barry and Lou. Um, and if that's the case, then nobody can be unhappy with that because um, then he obviously did something right. And he's obviously shown them that he's matured a little bit and that he's grown up. And if that's and if uh, if he doesn't, he's going to make you know minimal money in terms of professional sports standards, and he'll either be in Bridgeport or they'll loan him out somewhere else. So it's really a low risk move as far as I'm concerned. Um, I I don't know. I just find him intriguing. I'm not disappointed at all in it. I find him intriguing. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what uh, what develops with Hosang and and I hope he hope he's grown up a little bit I hope he he gets his head on straight or has his head on straight now because you know on a team like this where you can use a little offense uh I think he could be one of those guys that helps provide a spark so uh so I hope I hope uh he's worked things out anything he's had to work out I hope he's worked it out and uh, we'll see what happens and finally the Matt Martin watch nothing new to report uh again the word is that they will announce at some point that he has resigned maybe for two years. Now I heard something the other day that I think if guys are on the roster today, which is November 1st, if they're on a roster, they get a bonus. They get a certain percentage of their salary from last year. So I'm wondering if the Islanders were waiting uh, till after today to sign guys like Martin and the other, uh, unrestricted free agents because i guess if they sign them if martin was signed before today does that mean he would get that that bonus i'm not sure but when i heard that it kind of made sense so i guess we'll find out but um he hasn't signed anywhere else and uh, all signs are pointing to a return uh to the islanders so i guess again it's just a wait and see thing and uh i'd like to say i'll break it i'll break the story to you when it happens but uh we're where I'm a weekly show, so he'll probably sign tomorrow. You'll all know that he signed tomorrow, but I won't, of course, bring it to you until next week. So uh, hold on one second. So that's it for the preamble. And now, by special request of my friend on Twitter, at BeerNSoup82, he uh, tweeted at me last week and said, hey, how about for a season's episode, Eric Cairns' 2001-02 season? And it was funny that he tweeted that because I knew I was going to have to do a season's episode this week, and I was trying to figure out who it should be. And Cairns uh, is, is a special case for me. Uh, um, I, I've known Eric, like like I've, I've said before to people, I've known Eric since he was drafted by the Rangers. And... Um, I just really took a liking to him and he's a really, you know, when I met him, he was a really nice kid. And one of the things about Eric and, uh, you know, I've met hundreds of these play, hundreds of players, hundreds of these enforcers. And a lot of times when, when I would meet them, I would be with my wife and who at the time was my girlfriend. And obviously, um, you know, I'm the one that's doing most of the talking. I mean, my wife is a massive hockey fan, but She's not there to meet these guys. I mean, obviously she met them and she likes them and everything, but um, I would say there's there were always two people that were always interested that would always make her feel part of the conversation. And one of them was Todd Ewan. 
And the other one was Eric Cairns. He would always, always say, how you doing? You know, always, you know, and Cairns, he was the kind of guy I remember. I'll never forget one day uh, after a game at the garden, I forget who they were playing. And um, I saw whoever was on the visiting team. Uh, I saw them, they left and Cairns, he was with the Rangers. So he obviously was in no rush and he came out and he turns the corner down the hallway and he sees me and he sees Andrea and he goes, Oh, hold on one second. I didn't know you were here. Hold on. And he runs back into the locker room. He comes out with two sticks. Now, obviously if, if you've known me for any amount of time, you know that I'm a, I'm a gearhead as far as the hockey equipment, hockey jerseys and everything at, at my peak, I had over 600. And, um, you know, at that point I had known Cairnsy a few years and, uh, he's like, here, I got two sticks for you guys. And it was just like, the kind of guy he was, it was always like, it was me and, and it was Andrea and he always would always, you know, acknowledge her and make her part of the conversation. And I know that that was, uh, something that went a long way with me and it went a long way with Andrea. And, you know, even though he was a ranger, it was, it was a big deal to me and he was just su- such a good kid. And he was someone that I always, always rooted for. And I'd always make it a point to see him whenever I was at a Ranger game or uh, if he was in Binghamton or Hartford, if I was at one of those games, I'd always have to go and see him and everything. And we'd always chat really just, just a tremendous human being. And um, then when in one of the few moves that uh, I actually will applaud Mike Milbury for when Milbury picked him up off waivers from the Rangers, I was just in my glory. I, I really like, it was such a great time for me. It was it was definitely up there. Like like I said about uh, when the Islanders traded for Ken Baumgartner, and I found out the next morning, and I almost drove off the Parkway on my way to school when the Islanders signed Cairns. It was, uh, I was just giddy, honestly giddy. So to see the progress and to see his development from his time with the Rangers to the Islanders, uh, you know, being able to watch him on a daily basis was a lot of fun for me. And once he became an Islander and I would, you know, I've said, I've always gone, I grew up at the Coliseum. I'd go to a lot of the morning skates, or a lot of the practices. Um, and you just watch the kid develop. And, you know, the truth is I don't think he ever really got a real shot with the Rangers. And when he came to the Islanders, it was the perfect situation because he was allowed to grow as a player. He was allowed to grow as an enforcer. And, I've said this a million times and I don't really give a shit if people believe me or not. Eric Cairns, when he was an Islander was a top six defenseman. He took a regular shift and he was more than just an enforcer. He was more than just a physical defenseman. I mean, he could play the game. Um, I think it was Jaromir Yager. And I know you've all heard of him. I think Yager said, and I don't remember if he said that Cairns is the toughest or one of the toughest. But he did say he's, I'm going to say he said he was the toughest, the toughest defenseman to play against. So when you hear that from a guy like Yarmir Yager, and you know me, I'm always one that supports the player's opinion because I can have an opinion, but I'm doing it from my couch. Uh, when the players say something to me, that means something. And when Yarmir Yager says something about that, about you, about a guy like Karen Z as a defenseman, to me that that holds more water than any layman like myself or anyone else has to think but um you know everybody knows you know you go on youtube or you watch him play and everybody knows what a what a force he was with his gloves off but you know i'm happy to say that you know because i care about the person i I care about eric karen's the person definitely and um you know his development as a player i mean it was unbelievable to watch and and the islanders were the perfect organization for him 
to grow as a player. And he really did. And um, I, I believe part of his growth as an enforcer stemmed from his growth as a player because I think it gave him confidence. And uh, I think he knew that, you know, with the Islanders, a young team, you can grow with them. I, and I, again, this is something that I, I really want to discuss with him when I have him on the show. But with the Rangers, if you make a mistake, maybe you're down in Binghamton or you're down in Hartford the next day. And I think with the Islanders, he knew that he could make mistakes. And if he made a mistake, he wasn't going to get benched. He wasn't going to get sent down. Uh, he was just going to go out there for his next shift. And, you know, to me, it was, like I said, it was the perfect organization for him to grow as a player and grow as an enforcer. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Karen's was definitely someone, because like I said, I don't know when he's coming on. But he was definitely someone that I was thinking about to do the seasons episode. And uh, when I got the request on Twitter, I said, you know what? Let's do it this week. Let's let's do it. And uh, this season was a pretty interesting one for him. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? I may end up doing all the seasons with the Islanders uh, as time goes on with these. But uh, but this was a good one to start with. So let's just give you some quick facts about Karenzi. Uh His career numbers with the Islanders. Uh, he played 327 games, nine goals, 27 assists, 36 points. Nine goals, that's not bad. I mean, that's that's not bad. 36 points, pretty good, right, from your fifth or sixth defenseman, a guy that's there to protect people and play a physical game and more of a defensive defenseman. That's Those are pretty good numbers. Um, 814 penalty minutes. Now, he ranks eighth in Islander franchise history and penalty minutes, but I want to, I want this to be noted in of all the players in the top eight, he's the only player with less than 500 games. His 327 games out of the top eight is eighth by far the next lowest total. So you got Karenzi lowest total in the, in the top eight, 327 games, the next lowest total is 509 games. Mick Vakoda, Richie Pilon played 509 games. So that's the second lowest total in the top eight is 509. So Kearnsey ranks eighth, and he's got a shit ton less games than everybody else in the top eight. So again, pretty good numbers. Um, so he's eighth all-time in penalty minutes with 814. He's seventh all-time in franchise history in fighting majors with 59, and that's only regular season. It doesn't count uh, preseason or postseason fights, so that's regular season only. Penalty minutes are regular season only as well. Uh, in 2001-02, which is the season we're going to focus on right now, his numbers were as follows. 74 games, two goals, five assists, seven points, 176 penalty minutes, which I didn't I didn't make a note, but I think it's the third highest total that he had with the Islanders was the 176, and he had uh, 13 fighting majors. Uh, led the team, obviously, in penalty minutes and fights uh, for this season, 2001-2002. Uh, he played seven playoff games. It was the playoff series against Toronto, which, of course, we're going to get into. Um, he had 15 penalty minutes and one fighting major in the playoffs. So. Um, he was suspended once this year, as far as I know. I don't think it was more than once. Uh, he got a two-game suspension for punching Radic Bonk. Now, if you're familiar with Radic Bonk's resume, you know he's a mouthpiece. And um, I think we discussed this in my uh, first episode with Dean Ewan. We discussed it because he uh, he punched Radic Bonk a few times when uh, Bonk was with Vegas. Uh, Bonk's a mouthpiece. And... Um, 
I guess he was probably chirping Kernsey and uh, Kernsey let him have it. And, um, you know, I don't think it was suspension worthy. Well, nowadays it's suspension worthy. If it was nowadays, they probably have to bail Kernsey out of jail. But uh, he punched Raddick Bonk and Bonk, of course, went down. You know, Bonk's not a, not a small guy, you know, he's not Jason Blake or anything. Bonk is pretty good size to him, but was never physical, you know, kind of played a little, uh, not physical. I, I have to be careful of the adjectives I use nowadays. I don't want to have any letters written to me or, but, uh, Bonk did not, he kind of played a chippy game, but when he was confronted by actual men, uh, usually that's when things didn't go his way and, and Karen's, he popped him one and he went down and he stayed down and Karen's got suspended two games and. You know, I think that was his only two games, uh, his only suspension this season. Like I said, he played 76 games. So, um, and it, he had some, uh, I know he had hand issues earlier in the year and he had oblique issues at some point this season. So I think it was his only suspension that year was the two games for punching Radic Bonk. And one last note about this season, 2001-02, um, and we are discussing Eric Cairns' fights from that year. Uh, as you know, if you're a hockey fan, your team will do player introductions on opening night. Islanders are no different. And the guy who did the player introductions for the Islanders this year on opening night 2001, Michael Buffer, the probably the most famous uh, ring announcer in uh, combat sports history. And it was Michael Buffer that did the, uh, did the opening player introductions uh, on opening night for the Islanders. So let's get going here. So Eric Karen's first fight, of this season was in the preseason against Turner Stevenson at the Coliseum. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember what happened. I don't think I was at the game. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and he fought Turner Stevenson. Uh, the only thing I know about this fight was that they, they received roughing penalties. And when they came out of the box, that's when they, they started fighting and if you go back and listen to my Jim McKenzie episode, uh, Jim McKenzie, when he was talking about Turner Stevenson, there was uh, some, there was not, not an incident, maybe a potential incident that happened at a Giants game where uh, Jimmy Mack and Turner Stevenson and a couple of his Devils teammates were at the game, and Kerensey and some of the Islanders were at the game, and uh, I guess it was you know Jimmy was just being himself, you know, funny guy and everything, and. When it came to Turner and Karens, it just seemed like there may have been some bad blood there. And I don't know if that stemmed from this incident or if it's just something where two guys just don't get along. Um, it's definitely something that when I get Karens on the show, I'm going to ask him about this fight, ask him about any history with Turner. But I don't know anything that happened in the fight, um, not to take anything away from Turner Stevenson, but uh, I would imagine if they ended up getting their hands loose, this would be a fight that Karens would win. But uh, again, I don't know anything about it. I did not see any video uh, about it on the internet. So uh, all I can tell you is they got five for fighting. And uh, before that, they were in the box for two minutes uh, for roughing before the fight happened. So that's all I can tell you. And we move on to the regular season. First regular season fight was in Philadelphia against Todd Fedorik. And this would not be the last time these guys would fight. Uh, the fight, the play happens, starts behind the net. Well, no, let's start over. The fight happens 
It's behind the play and the two square off. Karen's basically what he does when he starts a fight is a lot of guys will go for the grab where they'll grab the sleeve uh, of their opponent, try to tie up the arm. And Karen's is just so big. He would just take those monster, this monster left hand and kind of grab right for not the throat, but like the collar area. And I guess when, when, I mean, I I've shaken Karen's hand a hundred times and it, he's just got these massive paws. So I guess when, when you're grabbed by those hands, and he grabs you by the collar or grabs you by the chest. It, it kind of gra- <laughs> grabs a lot of jersey. And uh, he grabs you there and he kind of holds you out at arm's length. Which, And when he did this with the Islanders, it was kind of one of the major differences in terms of his success in his fights as an Islander as opposed to the Rangers. And uh, he did this with Fedoric. He grabbed him right by the front of the jersey, right by the collar. Um, Fridge, you know, Fedoric, big guy, strong guy. He grabs him right back. He tries a couple of jersey jabs. Uh, Cairns throws a right. Fedoric ducks under the right. The two come together. They're sort of wrestling. Uh, Kerensky gets the front of Fedoric's jersey over Todd's head. And uh, as Kerensky attempts to throw another uh, punch, the two wrestle to the ice. They fall down. Not much of anything. Uh, Definitely uh, the two would have much more eventful fights in the future. But uh, this was his first fight in the regular season. And compared to the stuff that we're going to discuss going forward, it really wasn't much of anything. And um, and that was it. So that's his first regular season fight. Next fight is a few days later at the Coliseum against uh, good old Matt Barnaby, who was with Tampa at the time. And um, these two had, had met before. And uh, obviously, let's see, I think this was after. It was the season after or two seasons after. Because uh, I know it happened in 2000, but I don't know if it was 99, 2000 or 2000, 2001, where there was an incident with Karen Z and Barney in the hallway at the Coliseum. I don't know if this is something that stemmed from that, or if it's just, listen, Karen's is a tough guy. Barnaby's a tough guy and uh, Barnaby knows how to get under your skin. So it could have just been a particular isolated incident here. Um, but right off the face off, a lot of these, because Karen's is a defenseman, a lot of these fights happen in the Islanders end. So, uh, there's a face-off in the Islanders' end, right off the draw, the two start pushing and shove, shoving, and they drop the gloves. They square off in the corner, and again, Cairns Car- grabs Barney uh, by the front of the jersey. And where Cairns is bigger than Todd Fedoric, he's a lot bigger than Matt Barnaby. And, um, you know, he kind of had his way with him here in terms of just the power. And he grabs he grabs Barnaby by the jersey with his left. He throws seven unanswered right hands. Uh, but actually the most effective punch in this fight that was thrown may have been an accidental, uh, punch as, as Karen's grabbed him with his left and he was kind of ragdolling him a little bit. I think one of the, I think when he was kind of wrestling him with his left hand, I think he actually punched him maybe inadvertently, uh, or maybe advertently, uh, you know, Karen's is a pretty smart guy. So uh, maybe did on purpose, but I think it was uh, might have been the most effective punch of the fight. But you never know because you know Barney; he's also a guy that throws his head back a lot, tries to get the extra penalty. So, but it was definitely to me the most uh, telling punch of the fight in terms of the optics. And uh, if you go back on YouTube and watch it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, but aside from that, that left uh, jersey jab, Karen's threw seven unanswered uh, right hands. Um, and he just kept Barnaby out at arm's length. And uh, this one was all Cairns. Barnaby was never allowed to mount any kind of offense. Um, you know, just the size difference in this one really told the story. And, um, you know, it was it was all Cairns right from the start. But again, you know, Matt Barnaby, 
made his career fighting monsters like Cairns and never took a backward step. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the stuff he did, let's say, especially during his time with the Rangers. And, but I, I loved his rivalry with Asham, but you know, whether you like Barnaby or not, you just, you got to give the guy credit. The guy's a smaller guy and he'd fight guys like Cairns and not even blink about it. You know, just, um, you know, I respect him. I definitely respect Matt Barnaby. And, um, you know, like I said, this is just another example of the type of player he was. He, he would stir the pot, um, but he'd, he'd answer the bell. You know, he definitely would answer the bell. Sometimes he would do the fake glove thing, but for the most part, he'd answer the bell. So I have nothing but respect for Barnaby. So the next game that we're going to discuss really set up a lot of what would transpire over the season. And the next game was against the Rangers at the Coliseum. And this game was November 8th. He ended up fighting, and I put fighting in quotes, Steve McKenna. Uh, and we'll we'll discuss this right now, and you'll understand what I mean. Uh, as I said, this game set up a lot of the future incidents between Cairns and the Rangers for the whole season. Cairns had stitches in his hand, and he also had a broken pinky. And he was told not to fight. And... A lot of times with with the enforcers, the guys who do it in a respectful manner, when a guy a guy says, hey, you want to go? And you say, look, my hand, I got a broken hand. I got a broken pinky, whatever. I, I had two fights last night. My hand's all fucked up. I really can't go. Most of the time, it's sort of a, a respecting, and the guy will say, okay, no problem. Just, you know, don't do anything stupid. And, you know, and then you just go on because you know what? The way the role is, everybody's had that those moments where they couldn't fight. And that's where I think the respect uh, amongst the enforcers comes in is because they've all been in that situation, so they can all relate to it. In this game, um, but again, keep in mind, like I said, he had a broken, th- a broken pinky and he had stitches in his hand. So keep that in mind. And he was told not to fight. So, but again, it's, it's a testament to Cairns because he's not just an enforcer. He's not just a fighter. He's a regular defenseman. So even though he can't fight, he can hold the stick and he can play and he can hit. So obviously he's going to dress for the game because he does more than just fight. So even though he couldn't fight, he's still a valuable player, which is why he played the game. Cairns and Sandy McCarthy collide along the boards and McCarthy challenges him. You can see on camera the two are having a discussion, and I'm guessing this is where Cairns is telling McCarthy that he can't fight. The play continues, and again, I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing that Cairns is telling him, my hand's fucked up, whatever, I can't fight. I don't know. Okay, I don't know that for sure, but you can see the two of them are having a discussion. The play continues up the ice, and McCarthy actually ends up scoring a goal off a Steve McKenna rebound. Cairns gives McCarthy a little shot to the mush. Again, not anything... The, the punches that these guys have thrown and the punches that these guys have taken. But again, McCarthy's smart. He went down like he was shot. He went down just like, you know, Cairns pops him in the mush. McCarthy goes down like he got hit from Joe Koser in his prime. Uh, ironically, he got right back up, though. Uh, but after Cairns took the shot at McCarthy, uh, McKenna drops the gloves, grab, grabs Cairns behind the net. He starts throwing punches. Cairns still has his gloves on. Again, he was instructed not to fight. so. It, he just he can't fight. Uh, nothing of consequence lands, and um, you know, Cairns tackles McKenna to the ice. 
and that's it, you know. But here's where everything kind of starts, where a lot of the histrionics and uh, the antics go on. So Cairns and Cairns is in the box, and um, Theo Fleury. So so Sandy McCarthy ends up back on the bench because he doesn't think he's getting any penalties, and this is where Theo Fleury starts with his antics. Now, I. Up until this point, I, I was a huge fan of Theo Fleury. And, and I guess after the fact, I'm, I'm a fan of Theo Fleury. You know, I used to go to the Marriott a lot of the times and see the visiting teams come out and get autographs. And I never had any interactions with Theo Fleury. But what I can tell you is Theo Fleury was amazing to the fans. He really was. He was truly, really, really nice to to the fans. He was a guy that, that uh, took the time to accommodate everybody really friendly guy and uh, a guy I had a lot of respect for it not only as a player but because i saw him firsthand with people and uh i i really liked him i really did especially when you see how small he is and the way he plays the game he's a guy that i really always had a lot of respect for so this game really took me by surprise now also it, it's been you know theo has admitted a lot since then that he had a lot of demons a lot of problems with substances and i'm not saying that he was on anything during this game. I'm not at all. I don't know. Okay. But to me, what he did in this game was very out of character for him. And I think during his time with the Rangers uh, was during one of the worst times for his, his addictions. So again, I don't know if he was on anything during this game, but like I said, it was really out of character for him. So Cairns is in the box and Theo is on the bench talking to Sandy. And he starts with this, he comes off the bench and he's kind of skating around waiting for the penalties to be announced. And he's yelling at Cairns, you're a fucking chicken. You're a fucking chicken. And he's flapping his arms in the chicken motion. And he's just very animated about it. And on the bench, McCarthy is looking at him and he's making the yapping motion with his hands. And then he flexes his bicep at Cairns. And it was really weird. Like, uh, you know, like I said, I never met, I never met Dio, but, but I'd seen him before with the fans and I had actually spoken to Sandy back in my pro hockey magazine days when Sandy was with the, uh, flames. I'd done an interview with him. Really, really nice guy. Really, really low key guy, like mellow guy and everything. And again, just as far as the enforcer role goes, it was just something to me that was. I didn't expect from a Sandy McCarthy the whole the whole thing and the way the season went down. I was really surprised. I didn't expect it from from Sandy because um, you know Sandy during his prime of Calgary was one of the best, and I think a lot of times uh, because he was in Calgary, he kind of got overlooked. And he was during like the twist era, and um, you know Stu Grimson was really in his prime back then, and Stu was in Hartford or Detroit, and Twist was in St. Louis, and Sandy was out in Calgary. I think a lot of times, not that he was forgotten, but I think if Sandy was in a bigger market or in the U.S. or in Toronto, let's say, I think he would have got a lot more credit. So I always, I, like, I don't know. I just, um, I always thought Sandy was better than this. And, uh, you know, but in all my interactions with Sandy, he was always a great guy. So I've, I really don't have anything against him personally. But like I said, because it was really Sandy and Theo, I was really just caught off guard by this. So uh, the whole thing, and again, they they were teammates in Calgary, so they're probably buddies for a long time. But uh, so as Sandy Sandy was on the bench, he got two and a ten, and as he's skating to the penalty box, he 
he was a little more subdued about it, but he was making the chicken motion uh, towards Cairns again. And, and the whole thing to me was just mind boggling. Um, after the game, Theo Fleury in the daily news was talking about Cairns and basically said, uh, my five-year-old son hits harder than Cairns does. I know that for sure. He's throwing muffins out there. Is that unbelievable? Is, I mean, it's unbelievable that Theo Fleury would say something like that. Um, Don Cherry and everyone, everybody who knows me and listens to the show knows that I love grapes. And uh, Don Cherry talked about this on Coach's Corner. And when he was asked by Ron McLean if he saw Sandy McCarthy, Theo Fleury, and Eric Cairns, Grapes said, what a bunch of jerks. So everyone thinks that the Carolina Hurricanes were the original jerks, but it's not true. Sandy McCarthy and Theo Fleury were the original jerks. So again, what a bunch of jerks. Not Cairns. But I mean, Fleury, really? I'm surprised at this guy and McCarthy, too. I don't want to show it. I'm not showing guys using the chickens and all that because it shows the kids, anybody that does that, they should put a law in the league, any of that stuff, two-minute minor right off the bat. That is really WWF junk as far as I'm concerned. No more of that stuff. So it really, you know, Grapes agrees with me, or I'll say I agree with him because he's the man and I'm just me. Uh, But again, he brought up a lot of the things that I said, like really surprised that it came from guys like McCarthy and, and Theo, but... Um, you know, what do you say to that? And actually I, I found, um, in Theo's book, and again, this is something that, uh, that he's talking about. So this is from Theo Fleury's book, uh, on November 8th, my roomie and good buddy, Sandy McCarthy, who was six foot three, 225 pounds, went after Isles defenseman, Eric Cairns, six, six and two thirty at Nassau Coliseum. Cairns backed off. Then Sandy scored a goal and a rebound, and Cairns high-sticked him in the neck. I started doing the chicken dance. I cannot tell you how much the blue-collar lunch pail crowd hated me for that. Cairns was in a press scrum after the game, and when I walked past on the way out, he couldn't help himself. He turned and called me a motherfucker in front of the reporters. He claimed he didn't fight Sandy because he had a bad hand. I laughed. He's had a bad hand for three years now, I guess. Cairns and Sandy did mix it up just before Christmas, and on January 30th, Cairns and Maris Tchaikovsky tried to take out one of our defensemen, David Carpa. I grabbed Cairns, and he dropped his gloves and just drilled me. The whole fucking Islanders business would come back and bite me in the ass more than a few times. Now, I'm going to discuss some of the other stuff that he said um, in terms of the the, uh, Carpa thing and uh, about Cairns allegedly drilling him in that game. But this bullshit that the Rangers tried to perpetrate and, and exactly what it is, is bullshit. This myth that Cairns was ducking McCarthy. That is a myth. That was never a thing. Now, obviously in today's day and age where there's social media and everything is scrutinized a million times over, um, if a guy ducks a guy, it's going to be out there. Like when Tom Wilson ducked Eric Bolton, or when he ducks Ross Johnston now, he can't hide from that. Uh, that was all over the papers, especially when he ducked Bolton uh, multiple times. And as you know, I've discussed this multiple times. Uh, so a guy like Tom Wilson ducking Bolton, that's a fact. That is something that can be, uh, you know, not monitored because it happened already, but it can be traced back to the actual games where Bolton basically chased this grown man around and Wilson wanted no part of him. This whole thing where Cairns, was ducking McCarthy is a myth. And I'm going to talk about it because McCarthy talks about it uh, 
in the games that come up. But and I'll go into it a little bit more. But just so you know, that was never a thing. It was absolutely one hundred percent never a thing. This was something that. Again, like I said, you know, Theo, he, he was having substance problems. I don't know if this is a, a result of those things. I don't know. And I don't know what in Sandy's head where he got this stuff from, but Karen ducking Sandy McCarthy was never a thing. But anyway, the next fight that Karen's had that season was against Joey Tedarenko, a good old Western League boy, good guy, Joey Tedarenko. Uh, battle in front of the Islanders net turns into a full-scale fight as the boys drop the mitts and get going. The camera catches the action as Karen says a hold to Tedarenko by the collar and throwing a right. Joey counters with a right that doesn't reach, and Karen throws another right. Karen throws a couple of uppercuts, and one appears to land. Tedarenko fires back with four right hands, but again, they all miss the mark. Karen throws four rights, the last of which uh, finds the mark and puts Joey down. So this is a case that uh, this is an example of something that happened quite a bit during Karen's career with the Islanders. Uh, like you know, it's uh, I've said a million times. The difference between Karen's as a fighter with the Islanders and Rangers is is night and day. And this is where Karen's really uh, most of his fights with the Islanders is a perfect example of a, of a giant of a man using his size and using his reach. Joey Tedarenko is a very tough fighter, and he's had some big victories in his career. And Joey's not a small man, but he is smaller than Karen's. And this was another example of Karen's using his reach and keeping a guy at a distance. So Tedarenko did everything he could in this fight, but he just couldn't couldn't really reach Karen's for most of the fight. And um, like I said, Karen's put him down at the end. But you know, not a bad showing for Joey at all. I mean, I respect Joey Tedarenko a million million ways to Sunday. I was fortunate enough to meet him once when he was with the New Haven Beast. Really good guy, really tough guy. So uh, no shame in his performance in this one. But again, it was a it was a win for Karen's. Later in the game, Karen's met up with someone a little more his size, and that is uh, Peter Worrell. A minute and a half into the third period, the two start battling behind the Islanders' net. As the play goes up the ice, Karen's is talking, is tailing Worrell. Worrell turns around, and the two exchange pleasantries. They drop the gloves along the Panthers' bench. Karen's attempts a left uppercut that misses, and the momentum takes the two to the ice. They both receive two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct. Sixteen seconds after they leave the box. They come together along the boards near the Florida bench, drop the gloves. Royal throws three light rights to the back of Karen's head and shoulder area. Royal gets Karen's turned around, and he beats on Karen's shoulder, you know, the shoulder, uh, upper shoulder, where the nameplate is on the jersey. So Karen's nameplate took a beating in this fight. Um, and he, and that's really where Royal did his damage, and I put damage in air quotes. Uh, Worrell really has a death grip on Cairns during most of this fight. And he also has Cairns turned around like he was riding a riding piggyback. Um, and Cairns can't turn around to engage. Worrell throws two rights again to the to Cairns back, hits him in the helmet. And, uh, finally Cairns is able to turn around and while still in the midst of the death grip, uh, he throws a light tap to Worrell's cheek, prompting a chuckle f- from Howie Rose and Joe Micheletti. Cause it was just funny. These guys are uh, trying to hurt each other, and then uh, Karen just throws a little a little love tap to Rell's cheek, obviously uh, not trying to do any damage. But uh, Karen's probably had a – I don't know if he needed oxygen after basically the death grip that Rell had on him. And I'm not not shitting on Rell. He's a tough guy and everything, but it would have been nice if he would have let go a little bit and see these two big boys engage. I mean, after all, his teammate Tedarenko did it earlier in the, in the game. But, uh, you know, could have been more than it was, and it wasn't. So the next fight, now we get back to the Rangers. 
And now we go to MSG. And this is the fight that Karenzi had with Sandy McCarthy. This game and this rematch, well, it's not a rematch, but the, the rematch between the teams brought of a lot of a lot of attention in the press and a lot of anticipation uh, from both fan bases. It was the first time the teams had met since the events of the game at the Coliseum. The main players were interviewed after the morning skate, and uh, MSG Network did a great job splicing the clips together uh, from Cairns and McCarthy. They kind of did them back. I mean, obviously, they just interviewed Cairns once, and they interviewed McCarthy once, but they spliced them together where they were going sort of like a count, uh, point counterpoint style. So they did a really good job with it. Um, when they when they were being interviewed, Cairns was, you know, Cairns had taken a bit of a beating in the papers, and, and unfairly, uh, to be honest with you, the, the media, you know, and again, like I always say, media, most of the people in the media never played pro sports. Uh, and I would venture to guess that most of the people that were writing about Cairns during the time had never been in a fight, had never had stitches in their hand, had never had a broken a broken pinky and been challenged to a fight. So they were kind of talking out of their asses. Um, so when they're interviewing these guys, Cairns was very stoic and, and he was intense. And I don't know if it necessarily came across to someone who doesn't know Cairns and but you know i know karen's it's not like i'm bragging but obviously i do know him and i'm watching the interview and i could just tell he was this there was like a storm going on in his head and he just had this intensity about him and mccarthy to be honest had sort of an arrogance about him and he was very smug with his answers and again i i don't know sandy mccarthy that well but this whole incident really didn't sit well with me because it just seemed really out of character uh for him but we'll start with Karen's. Obviously, I have the quotes for you here. So uh, Karen said, uh, what I think it, what it is, it was a pretty intense game and things happened in the heat of battle. And they chose to act that way. And it's going to be a good game tonight. It's for first place. And we're really excited about the Battle of New York. McCarthy was asked about Karen's refusal, refusal to fight due to his hand. He answered smugly, well, I mean, you do hurt your hand when you fight in this league. Sometimes you hit helmets. Maybe it's a coincidence that every time we play against him, he's got a sore hand, but sometimes it happens. Karen's answer to that was, I guess a broken thumb constitutes, you can fight with a broken thumb, but you've got a broken pinky with stitches in it, and that's backing down from a fight. I've been in enough fights in this league that I know that I don't back down. If that's what he thinks, he can think that, but he's wrong. When told that in the days following the incident, Karen's had said that they were disrespectful to him. McCarthy said, why should we respect him? I don't think we, we should respect anybody on that team. Karen's added, I just think what they did was disrespectful in general, not necessarily to me. It was at me, but if they did that to anyone else, I'd say it was disrespectful too. I'm just not that way. And it's, it's what they did and it's over with. And we just have to move on. When asked by the reporter, do you not respect him because he seems to back down from you when you challenge him, McCarthy replied, no, it's not that. It's just when I play the game, you can't play with respect or you're going to be out of the league. You got to play hard. You got to play with pride and you don't do anything to disrespect yourself. But I think if you respect your opponents too much, you're going to end up getting beat. When asked what they expect tonight, McCarthy said, we expect a physical game. They always are against the Islanders. It's a pretty good rivalry and hopefully we can spice it up a little bit more. Karen's was a little more direct and to the point. What do I expect tonight? I expect us to win. Now, this is the kind of stuff we don't get anymore. 
you know, the way the game has changed and the way the media and certain writers, mostly out of Toronto, uh, have complained about the physicality of hockey and have really been at the forefront getting this game changed. You don't get the sort of drama anymore. Um, and it's a shame because as much as I, I've said I don't really understand where this came from, uh, from McCarthy and Theo Fleury, their antics and their attitude about it, uh, it definitely added drama to a game that, necess- that probably didn't even need it, but you get this kind of stuff. And nowadays, you know, you you get stories uh, in different outlets that would say, oh, this is all premeditated and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then you get the, the typical rants from the same reporters about hockey culture and all this nonsense. And it's just the stuff that you didn't see back then. It was, it was accepted as part of the game and it is part of the game or it was part of the game. But nowadays, you know, like it would be interesting to see something like this happen, say between Ross Johnston and Ryan Reeves or Ross Johnston and Tom Wilson. It would be, it would kind of be fun to see. And I think most people would enjoy it. Uh, you know, except for again, the vocal minority, um, and again, like I said, this this myth that Cairns refused to fight McCarthy on multiple occasions, it it's just it's not true. And when when I when it happened, I knew it wasn't true. And as I'm re-watching it now, I'm going, This is just unbelievable that you're putting this out there. And again, the reporter that asked McCarthy Oh, do you not respect him because he he doesn't seem to accept your challenges? Well, do your due diligence. You're a reporter. Shouldn't you find out if that's true or just hearsay? But no, you know, you just go along with the game and whatever. But again, I can't stress this enough. This myth that Sandy and Theo are trying to perpetrate or tried to perpetrate at the time where Karen's backed down from Sandy McCarthy. Check out Karen's fight card. Karen's didn't back down from anybody. And the Sandy McCarthy of the Rangers was a far cry from the Sandy McCarthy of Calgary in his prime. Cairns was not backing down from Sandy McCarthy. I'm sorry. And, I, and I'm not I'm not downplaying Sandy McCarthy's toughness. Sandy McCarthy is an all-timer. People have him in their top 10, top 15, and he belongs there. Sandy McCarthy's resume takes a backseat to nobody. But so does Eric Cairns. And Eric Cairns didn't back down from anybody. Sandy McCarthy backed down, didn't back down from him, didn't back down from anybody. And again, the whole thing that he backed down from Sandy McCarthy, coming from Sandy, coming from Theo, is laughable. It just wasn't a thing. But anyway, we'll get to the game. So after Mats Lindgren scored a goal a little over a minute in, Cairns is put out there, and the Rangers are the home team, so they have last change. The Rangers answer with McCarthy. Puck drops. And to quote the great Izzy Mandelbaum, it's go time. They square off and Cairns grabs McCarthy and throws 11 straight rights. A few land, including one that knocks McCarthy's helmet off. And you know McCarthy wore the knuckle buster, my favorite helmet. And that stuff generally would get welded to guys' heads. So for Cairns to knock that helmet off, it had to be a pretty good shot. Um, McCarthy gets his bearings and throws three rights of his own, one of which definitely lands. Cairns gets his right loose again and throws five rights, alternating between overhand rights and uppercuts. He gets the jersey over McCarthy's head, but McCarthy's a veteran. He got out of that pretty quickly without any damage being done. They exchange a few rights, and Cairns throws a left and takes McCarthy down to the ice. Definite win for Cairns. You can see it. Videos there. Cairns won the fight. 
and uh, he didn't back down from him that night, and he never backed down from him when he didn't have a busted up pinky and stitches. In the first intermission, Al Troutwick asked Theo Fleury, who in the interview was a little more subdued than the uh, chicken dancing Theo Fleury from a month earlier. Al Troutwick asked Theo Fleury if he knew that Kansas McCarthy were going to fight, and Fleury said, I think there was a lot of hype all day long in the papers and whatnot, and it was nice to see that he that he did finally stand up to Sandy, and it was a good fight. Again, he didn't finally stand up to Sandy. They had a fight. He didn't back down from him ever. It was that was a myth. In the second intermission, Troutwick brought up the fight with Michael Pekka. Pekka said it was great. I think he stepped up and showed a lot of courage. It's not easy to deal with the last few months. A lot of people poking fun at him for no reason, really. He came and showed what he's all about tonight, and it was great. The only quote I could find from McCarthy after the game was in the New York Daily News, and it was it was quick. He said about Cairns, he's a tough guy. I never said he wasn't a tough guy. So, again, I don't know. You know, listen, it was a good fight. Cairns definitely got the edge. Cairns won the fight. But I don't know if that was McCarthy sort of eating crow or being a little more subdued about it. Um, the fight didn't go his way, and, and those two guys are, are two of the all-timers. So one guy is not going to dominate the other guy in a series of fights. If they fight 10 times, it could go 5-5. But it was good to see McCarthy a little more subdued after the game. Um, by the way, Cairns wanted to, to win the game. The Islanders won the game 2-1. to one. Following day at the morning skate, Howie Rose asked Peter Laviolette in regards to the fight. Um, he said the challenge was posed to Eric Cairns early. He answered it. And uh, the guys seem to get a lift based on their reaction from the bench. How much of what transpired the rest of the night might have been fueled by the fight? Laviolette said, he got dealt, meaning Cairns, he got dealt with a lot of hits in the media because he couldn't fight a month ago. To his credit, he went out and answered the bell right away. And when he won that fight, and at this point, Laviolette gets a little bit of a smile on his face, said, uh, when he won that fight, I was pumped. And I think the players are pretty pumped too. I think that our game was going along pretty well, but he gave us an edge and picked us up even more. I think he made us all feel a little bit safe out there. So the good part about this is, you know, like Pekka brought up and Laviolette brought up, uh, there's a lot of bullshit that went on in the media uh, about the, that first meeting and dealing with McCarthy and McKenna and Fleury. And as the season goes on, you can kind of see – and again, I don't know if this was something that was he was cognizant of, or it was just something that ended up happening. But he kind of, you'll see, he kind of checks off McCarthy, and he kind of checks off McKenna, and he kind of checks off Fleury. And uh, we'll get into that, but uh, we'll as the season progresses. His next fight was uh, after Christmas and before New Year's against Stefan Kintal. Kintal, you know, hey. Kintal had a nice career for himself, and this, at this point, Kintal is with the Canadians. Kintal's a tough guy, underrated tough, uh, a definite fine addition to any team, always showed up, always answered the bell. So uh, I have nothing but respect for uh, Stefan Kintal. The two drop the gloves in front of the Islanders' net, and they immediately start trading rights. None do damage, and now they're backed up to the gate leading to the visitors' dressing rooms. Cairns throws an overhand right, an uppercut, and two overhand rights that stun Kintal. They continue to exchange rights, and Kintal lands a nice right to the side of Cairns' head. But now Cairns gets his right arm out of his jersey. And it's funny when you're watching it, as Cairns is getting his arm out of his jersey, you can sort of feel, you can hear the energy of the crowd getting a little bit higher because now you know what's going to happen. Uh, Cairns throws two more rights, and Kintal goes down. They have a chat as they're escorted to the respective penalty boxes, but that's it. You know, 
good showing again for Quintal. Tough guy, underrated, tough. But uh, again, you know, Karens gets the win in this one. Now we enter 2002, January 2002 against uh, the Rangers at the Coliseum. Going into this game, there was much less talk in the media than there was between the first and second games. MSG again aired some quick interviews, and most were pretty generic answers about how physical the games usually are in the Islander-Ranger rivalry. But again, Sandy McCarthy couldn't help himself. Uh, When asked about the Islanders' recent acquisition of Jimmy Cummins, McCarthy said, they added more toughness because they felt they needed it. I guess we were too tough for them. I I mean, it just, again, look, I, I, um, I wasn't in Calgary when Sandy was there. I wasn't in Western Canada. I don't know if McCarthy always had this kind of attitude about himself. I don't think he did. Um, I always thought he was more respectful than this, but, uh, like I said, this really opened my eyes a little bit and I don't, it's something I ever really hold, hold against him. Not that Sandy McCarthy gives a shit what I think. Um, but it really was an odd season as far as I'm concerned from the Rangers this year. So, but, uh, again, like I said, most of the guys were kind of respectful and Sandy had to throw in that shot. And, uh, what he should have said is I'm sure the Islander fans are happy that they got Jim Cummins because they got another tough guy and Jimmy's amazing. So, uh, I was pretty happy when they got him. So again, the stage is set. Uh, last game they played, of course, was the game at the garden. Karen's beat McCarthy. Uh, and again, whether, and this is what I was mentioning, whether or not he sort of had in his mind, you know, McKenna, McCarthy, McKenna, Fleury, uh, I don't know. And, uh, whether or not he targeted McKenna after what happened in the first meeting, it's definitely something that I'll have to ask him about when he comes on the show. Uh, it also could have been McKenna trying to rally the Rangers who found themselves down four to one, less than 10 minutes into the game. Uh, also just so you know, uh, when McKenna and Karen had a fight, McCarthy was also on the ice, but it was McKenna who sought out to spark the team and, and try to fight Karen's. So make of that what you will, especially, like I said, especially cause McCarthy was very vocal the whole season. So you figure a guy like that, that is using his words, uh, would try to use his actions too, but I don't know if, you know, some of the starch was taken out of him after that, the game at the garden. I'm not sure, but it was McKenna that tried to spark the team and not McCarthy. So the two behemoths drop the gloves behind the Islanders net. And while they're tied up, one of their sticks is actually stuck between them. It was actually funny to see. You got these two giants fighting and, and, uh, it was really one of the few times that, uh, Karen's actually fought someone bigger than he was. And while they're tied up, there's a stick sticking out from, uh, from in between them. I, I don't know whose stick it was. Um, but Cairns throws three rights, and as Cairns is adjusting his positioning to throw some lefts, McKenna throws a right that is answered by three big lefts by Cairns. They fall to the ice but get right back up and throw simultane- simultaneous bombs at each other. They both threw these massive rights, and I think they both connected. Uh, McKenna follows up with another right as they wrestle along the boards. McKenna gets Cairns bucket bucket off as Cairns throws two more rights. McKenna throws a right, Cairns throws a final right, and ends up on top of McKenna as they both go down to raucous applause from the Coliseum crowd that is generally split down the middle, uh, 50-50 with Islander fans and Ranger fans. Unfortunately, sometimes it's more Ranger fans and Islander fans. I don't know if some of them are afraid to go to the city or not, but they always seem to congregate at the garden at the Coliseum. But I digress. Now, the next incident on the Cairns resume from this year is again at Madison Square Garden. And uh, again, the uh, tougher players are the focus of the pregame show. 
And it's more post uh, pregame interviews. And again, the same generic stuff about the physical nature of the games and the, and the rivalry. And everybody is very cordial. Everybody is very pleasant. Even Sandy McCarthy, who uh, had nothing but honest words to say and stayed away from any sarcasm at the time. So this is the incident that Fleury was talking about with Carpa, about how they went after David Carpa. And the reality is it's more revisionist history from Theo because David Carpa actually started the entire incident by going after the Polish prince, Marysz Tchaikovsky. He started the whole thing. So it wasn't that they went after Carpa. Carpa started the entire thing, and the video is there to prove it. Uh, so the scrum starts, Carpa going after Tchaikovsky, and now everyone finds a partner. In a comical scene, Cairns looks like King Kong amongst small villagers as Mike York attempts, and I'm doing air quotes, attempts to grab him. But Cairns notices a little guy out there wearing number 14 and grabs him. And, and the reality is he probably could have held York in one hand and Theo in the other hand. Uh, but focused on Theo Fleury, he grabbed Theo Fleury. And it should be noted that Cairns really could have beat Fleury into the next century, uh, but he didn't. And, and, and I think Theo's assessment of the level of force behind the punch that he hit him with was again a bit exaggerated. Everything Theo said about this entire series of events this season was exaggerated. Um, Cairns gave him a few taps. I think it was just to send the message of what might have been if he wanted to. And of course, as the linesman is is escorting Cairns away from the sc uh, scrum, Fleury gets up and. He's being restrained by Ray Scapinello, and he puts on the show for the home crowd as if uh, home crowd as if he really wants to get back at Cairns. I, I'm really at a loss for words. You know, Theo Fleury is feisty. Theo Fleury is a competitor. Theo Fleury, in my opinion, is a Hall of Fame player. But Theo Fleury did not want back at Cairns. There's no chance he won. Heavyweight fighters have talked about fighting Cairns. Because they had to, not because they wanted to. Theo Fleury did not want to fight Cairns. But it's entertainment, and he put on the show for the Garden Faithful. But he wanted no part of it. And the reality is, if Cairns was a different person, Theo Fleury would have been escorted off in a body bag. And But Cairns is better than that. And sometimes, when I think back on it, maybe he should have thrown one shot just to kind of really send a message. But... Cairns is a classy guy. He didn't do it. And him and I actually discussed that later in the year in Philadelphia. I don't know if he remembers that conversation. Um, and if I get him on the show, I'll ask him about that. Not if, when. Later in the game. Now, this is the funny part. Later in the game, there was a scrum. <clears throat> whistle blows. And, you know, when you're watching the game and the whistle blows at, to end the play and before the start of the play, the guys are just kind of milling about, skating about getting ready. Well, that happened. And Dale Purinton suckers Jason Blake. Now, I've had guys on the show. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I've had guys on the show that have talked about Jason Blake. And I've had guys in person. Excuse me. There's nothing more disgusting than when you have a hot coffee and let it sit and now it's cold. Oh, God. Excuse me. I've had guys in person talk to me about Jason Blake. And it's funny because I don't know anyone that has a good thing to say about him. So I always wonder when a guy like Purinton suckers him, <clears throat> and obviously 
when it's in the middle of the play and you're on the ice, you have to defend them. But I always wonder when a guy like Blake, who I know is not popular with too many people, gets suckered. I wonder on the inside if, if guys are going good. You know, I always wonder that. But <clears throat> in the heat of the moment, you're not. But so Purinton suckers Blake, crams, crams. Cairns grabs Purinton, throws two punches, but there to his back as Purinton is uh, turtling. Uh, while while him and he, he had grabbed Blake and they were in the process of falling, a scrum ensues and Manny Malhotra grabs Cairns. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm all choked up. <clears throat> as Purinton is led off the ice, Cairns and Malhotra still have a hold of each other, as do the linesmen. And they're talking. Cairns tries to get an arm loose and throws what amounts to two slaps as Malhotra slaps of Malhotra with his elbow pad. Pretty much nothing, a nothing incident. It appears to be finished. And as the linesmen are about to separate them and Karen skates away, Malhotra throws, in the words of Sam Rosen, who is a noted Rangers homer, a cheap one. Malhotra threw a cheap one at Karen's, and JD agreed. So you knew it was a cheap one if the Ranger homer announcers are calling it a cheap one. And that just set Karen's off. He grabs Malhotra, and again, similar to the Flurry incident, he could have really teed off on him, but doesn't. And another scrum ensues. Cairns, I think, really deserves a lot of credit for his restraint in this game. He really could have maimed Fleury and Malhotra, but he didn't. He could have really destroyed these two guys. They're not in his class in terms of toughness. But I think it really speaks to his character, especially with Fleury after the bullshit that he did earlier in the year. But again, <clears throat> you know how I feel about Cairns. I think he's an extreme character guy. And I, I think, you know, the main reason for bringing this up is that if he was someone that's a bit on the wild side, like, uh, you know, other players like a Link Gates or other players that, that are reputed to be like crazy, um, Flurry and Mahotra could have got really hurt in this game, but they didn't. And uh, like I said, I think it speaks to Karen's character. Uh, we move on to February and a game at the Coliseum against Toronto against a uh, former teammate of Eric Karen's, Ty Domi. Uh, this was in the early in the second period. First period, the two were at each other the whole period, and in the beginning of the second period. So you kind of got a feeling something might happen between the two. They drop the gloves behind the Islanders' net, and uh, Cairns throws a right, and Domi throws four lefts with neither guy doing any real damage. Uh, Domi did get Cairns' helmet off in the exchange. They exchange lefts, and then Cairns switches back to his right and lands two before going back to his left. And now they're exchanging left simultaneously. Domi land, does land a good one, as does Cairns, and Ty drops to one knee. He gets back up, and now the two are trading rights. Domi throws a right hand that Cairns ducks under, and the two fall to the ice. And that's the end of the fight. Good fight. Really good fight. Fun fight to watch. To me, there was no real winner in the fight. Uh, maybe you'll disagree with me, so uh, go check it out on YouTube and let me know. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. That cold coffee really screwed with me here. Uh, next fight against Dennis Bonvi of the Bruins. Now I am a big Dennis Bonvi fan. Uh, I have Dennis Bonvi on my minor league enforcer, Mount Rushmore. Uh, Dennis Bonvi has fought everybody and he did a lot of it in the minors for a lot less money that he would have made in the NHL. So my respect for bones is immense. And, uh, there's actually a funny story that goes along with this fight. And I'll read that to you after, uh, so the two OHL grads square off just outside the center ice circle. They grab a hold of each other, and Bonvi fires a right at Cairns. 
Karen switches up his grabbing hand and starts throwing lefts, one of which Bonvi avoids, but the second one definitely landed. Bonvi throws another right, but nothing of note. And while they're tied up, Cairns gets his right out of his jersey again. Bonvi lands a nice left. Cairns throws multiple rights, one of which finds the mark. While wrestling, Cairns now has both arms out of his jersey, and now it's just a slugfest between two warriors. The officials get in, and the two are separated. So while I was researching this, I found an excerpt from Ken Reed's book, One to Remember. And uh, it's about, this deals with Dennis Bonvi. And in, and I believe the um, <clears throat> the book is about guys who scored one NHL goal. And Dennis Bonvi scored one NHL goal, and it happened to be in this game. And I, at the time, Benoit Hoke was on the team, on the Bruins, with Dennis Bonvi. So Bonvi scores the goal, and <laughs> the funny thing was, Bonvi and obviously only had one NHL goal, but he kind of admits he didn't really know what to do after he scored the goal. And he said, you're so shocked that you scored because you didn't think it was ever going to happen. And um, so Ken Reed went on to say, perhaps to ease his nerves or maybe just to feel normal again, Bonvi got back to his usual antics on the next shift. He did not go looking for another goal. And to quote Bonvi, I got back into my comfort zone on my next shift when I fought my buddy Eric Cairns. The fights were a lot easier to come by than the goals. So, uh, you know, like I said, I, I had, uh, I've spoken to Bonvi multiple times when I used to go to minor league games a lot. Always a great guy, always a humble guy for all he's accomplished. And uh, I can absolutely 100% picture him saying that stuff. So, uh, good guy, Dennis Bonvi, tough as nails. And, uh, a lot of respect for him and uh, congratulations on his one NHL goal. Unfortunately, it was against the Islanders, but I'm happy he got one. I'm happy. Guys, go look up Dennis Bonvi's stats. Look everywhere he's played. Look at the penalty minutes he put up in all these minor league cities. He deserved I mean, I'm sure if you ask him, he's very grateful for the time he got in the NHL. He deserved a lot more NHL games than he got. So, um, But a, a, a warrior, absolute warrior, Dennis Bonvi, 100%. <clears throat> Next fight for Kernsey, March 1st, in Atlanta against another warrior, Jeff Odgers. I've spoken about Jeff Odgers before. You know how much respect I have for that guy, too. The two are battling down the ice into the Islanders' zone. They have words and drop the gloves. This is basically a let's see who can land more rights to the other guy contest. They both throw multiple rights, but with Cairn's size advantage, I don't think Aji landed anything except several punches to Karen's tricep. This, again, is another example of Karen's fighting a smaller opponent. And as game as Audrey always is, he's a lot smaller than Karen's. Karen's is connecting with his right. Audrey's is just not reaching Karen's. And it's just, again, the progression of Karen's as a fighter. Um, Karen's lands a few big ones. At, but, again, as is the norm, Audrey's does not back down. Karen's finishes the fight with the left to Audrey's back as he's going down. And that's the end of the fight. Um, you know, typical Karen's fight against a smaller guy, strings him out. Audrey's can't reach. Audrey's isn't backing down from anybody. So he's going to fight no matter what. He may as well have been fighting Optimus Prime in this fight. Still not going to back down. And, um, you know, another win for Karen's, but, you know, similar to Bonvi, uh, you know, I don't know a single fight fan out there that doesn't have a ton of respect for Jeff Audrey's. The guy's amazing. So, uh, you know, good for him for doing his job, but <clears throat> he was overmatched in that fight. Next fight was March 8th at Columbus against Jody Shelley. 
The two have words, and they drop the gloves and square off. Shelly lands a left before they have a hold of each other. Karens grab Shelly and throw several rights. Shelly answers back with some jersey jabs. As Karens is switching to his left, Shelly sees an opportunity to throw a few rights. Karens throws one left, and they tie up. Karens switches back to his right, and the two go full-on rock'em, sock'em robots for about five or six seconds. They throw seven simultaneous rights to each other. Karens throws three more rights once the rock'em, sock'em period is over. Then they tie up, and the officials get in and break them up. Good showing for both guys. Uh, Karen's got his team going. Shelly got his team going. Shelly got the crowd going in Columbus. Uh, you know, fun fight to watch. Definitely check it out. Karen's final fight of the regular season at Buffalo, March 12th against Rob Ray. <clears throat> Scrum starts in front of the Buffalo bench, and luckily for us, Karen's and Ray find each other and separate from the pack. They drop the gloves, remove the elbow pads, and get down to business. Cairns grabs Ray to initiate, and they just go punch for punch. Beautiful thing to see. Ray's more active in the beginning, and while most of his punches are hitting Cairns in the upper arm and shoulder, he does land a shot that knocks off Cairns' helmet. Cairns is throwing the more telling shots. The final two put Ray down. While the officials are getting in, Cairns throws a left, which was a bit out of character for him. I don't know if it was something that happened earlier in the game, if it's something that has to do with the previous fight that they had when Cairns was a ranger. Either way, Ray was incensed and tries to land a few of his own over the linesman, but is unsuccessful. So <clears throat> there you have it. That's Eric Karen's regular season. Terrific regular season for him. On the ice fight-wise, tremendous year. Off the ice dealing with the Ranger bullshit. Handled it with class. You know, really tried to, to play it down. Uh, didn't really want to get caught up. And that's not, not his personality to kind of get caught up in the war words. He'd rather do it on the ice. And his focus was always the team winning the games. That was always his focus. Him getting involved was always secondary. And as far as the fighting goes, he'd rather get involved and help the team win. And um, never got caught up in the bullshit. Uh, really, really good season for him. Uh, but as you know, it wasn't over. But a few fights that could have happened that didn't happen, uh, there were four of them that didn't materialize. Uh, <clears throat> there was a game in Phoenix where him and Brad May almost had a fight. Uh, there was a game against Ottawa where he was really pushing the issue against Andre Waugh. Andre Waugh didn't really appear to have any interest in it. Uh, similar uh, game in Florida. Uh, he seemed very interested in fighting Jason Weimer, and Weimer probably made the smart decision not to engage. And finally, uh, in a game against Ottawa, him and Chris Neal almost came to blows. So uh, they both showed some restraint in that one. But those could have been four more fights to add to the resume that year. They did not materialize. Um, and, um, you know, it would have been nice. But, again, great season for Karenzi with his 13 fights and a few other little extracurricular things. So now we get to the playoffs. And they play the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you're an Islanders fan, you remember this series. It was wild. This game, this fight that Karenzi had with Shane Corson was set up in game five. There was a scrum in front of the Leafs net, nothing major. Everyone's kind of grabbing a partner, just, you know, chirping, whatever. Karenzi and Yerky Lou may start pushing and shoving each other. Not, again, nothing major, just usual nonsense that happened. Well, Shane Corson didn't like it, and he and Karenzi had words. The irony of it, and you could see Corson, I think Corson was kind of mentioning how Karen's is pushing with a guy like Yurke Lume, but the irony of it, the whole thing started with Corson roughing up Alexi Yashin. 
So maybe he's a bit of a hypocrite when it comes to this stuff because he's getting on Karen's case for pr- pushing Yerky Lume, but the entire incident started with Corson popping Alexi Yashin. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I just go by what I see on the video here. So while they're in the penalty box, Corson and Cairns are having an extended conversation. Uh, and Corson, he's, he's got the crazy eyes going. I don't know if he thought that was going to intimidate anyone. Uh, and again, Corson, tough guy, man. Let, look at his resume over the years. He, he's a very, very tough guy. But uh, I don't know. He just seemed a little bit different in Toronto. I guess a lot of guys seem different than when they're in Toronto. I don't know. But him and Karen's are chirping at each other. And like I said, Corson's got the crazy eyes going. And Karen's looks like he's just laughing at him. And, and uh, the way the camera angle was, I couldn't really read Karen's lips, but I was able to read Corson's a few times. And uh, a few times he was telling Karen's, come on over. I guess he was uh, inviting Karen's to leave his box and uh, show up at Corson's penalty box, which obviously was never going to happen. Guys don't leave their penalty box to fight the, their opponent in the other penalty box in regular season games. I don't think they do it in the preseason, and definitely they're not going to do it in the playoffs. So that was kind of silly. Um, the other interesting thing that I was able to make out Corson saying was, we'll find out. So I would guess that this was in reference to the potential result if Cairns and Corson were to drop the gloves against each other. And the good thing is about frontier justice is a lot of times you don't have to wait too long. And uh, luckily we did not have to wait too long to find out. So as we move to the next game, game six. Now, if you remember, the series had been violent, very, very violent series. Uh, Darcy Tucker, brother-in-law of Shane Corson took out Michael Pekka with a cheap low hit that tore a ligament, knocked Pekka out for the playoffs. Gary Roberts, another guy, honest player for the most part, runs Kenny Johnson from behind, gives him a concussion. Um, you know, really, Toronto, I don't know, man. Like, uh, uh, just there's something about putting on that jersey. I don't know if you you lose some class or something or whatever. But um, so obviously this was a very intense series. When asked before the game about possible retribution, Karen said, we have to win the game number one. Staying disciplined is a big thing. Can't settle any scores out there right now. That's what the regular season is for. Not right now. We're going to go out there and play hard against them, take the body hard against them, and win the game. So Corson and Cairns first came together near the end of the second period. Not much happened, uh, and Ty Domi made sure to get between them. Cairns and Ty have a bit of a chat, but Corson, who was very vocal in the penalty box in Game 5, was very quiet while they were out on the ice together. Again, I'm not not saying Corson was afraid. What I'm saying is when they were in the box in game five, he was very chatty and now they're on the ice together in game six and he's not chatty at all. And Ty Domi got between Cairns and Corson. So we move on to the third period and with less than two minutes to go and the Islanders holding a commanding two goal lead. Now was the time to drop them. So um, I guess it was time to settle some scores. And again, the winners were the Islander fans. Uh, Sean Bates drops the gloves with Darcy Tucker. And to be honest with you, this started with Shane Corson uh, going after Sean Bates. And Darcy Tucker stepped in to fight Bates. And Eric Cairns and Shane Corson come together. And now they drop the gloves. So now when uh, when Cairns and Corson were chatting and uh, and the, the Corson was saying, we'll see, we'll find out. Now we're going to find out. So the fight starts. Cairns and Corson are jockeying for position. 
Cairns gets his right loose. He shakes off the elbow pad, and they engage. Cairns is basically throwing rights at will. He has a size advantage of Corson, and Corson never seemed to get started in this. And Cairns seemed like a man on a mission. So Cairns is throwing rights. The ones that land are telling shots. Corson is doing his best to fight back, but most of his punches can't reach the bigger Cairns. Cairns drops the boom on Corson and lands one more for good measure, and they fall to the ice. The Coliseum absolutely erupts. Erupts. Jim Cummins, who played for the Chicago Blackhawks for several years, played in one of the loudest arenas in the history of sports in Chicago Stadium, and was there for some pretty big moments, told me that the Coliseum that night was the loudest arena he thinks he's ever played in. The roof was going to come off that place. Okay. As the fight ends and they're separated, Corson kicks or attempts to kick Cairns. He doesn't reach it. Doesn't reach Cairns, but he attempts to kick him. Cairns skates off the ice, and there's an iconic photo that you've all seen with Cairns raising his arm in victory, giving the number one sign. He skates off with Sean Bates. They give a fist bump to each other to a thunderous ovation, and that led to Game 7, which, of course, did not go the Islanders' way. But that moment against Cairns is one that Islander uh, against Corson is one that Islander fans will never forget. Um, despite the big protests from Shane Corson and his Toronto Maple Leaf teammates and organization, Corson was suspended for one game for the kick. He missed game seven. Uh, they obviously didn't need him because they won the game. Um, but you know, you are, uh, you throw a kick at a guy during the most violent playoff series at the time, you know, everybody's watching. I don't know what he expected. Um, you know, they interviewed some of the guys, um, prior to game seven or after game six, whichever it was, I don't remember. And, uh, everyone, you know, on the Islanders were kind of like, Hey, you know, you can't do that. And Jim Cummins even said NHL allows bare knuckle fist fighting. There's no room for guys throwing kicks, things like that. Uh, Maple Leafs of course saw it differently. And even Ty Domi, who is never shy in front of the camera, who loves to see himself on TV, uh, walked away and said, no, I have no comment. So, uh, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Uh, big moment for Eric Cairns. I mean, obviously, probably the fight of the year for him. I mean, either that or the McCarthy fight. Um, it really depends on how you look at it. And, and knowing Cairns, I, I don't even think he would say either one was a fight of the year. I don't think he looks at them that way. I, I think knowing Cairns the way I do, um, if he had a fight with someone and it helped win the game, that's the most important thing to him. He doesn't look back. I don't think he does anyway. Looks back on his fights uh, as singular entities. I think he always he's always been a team player. He's always been a leader. And I think he looks at each battle as how it may have helped his team win the game. And um, this was a big year, big year for Islander fans, Islander fight fans, Eric Karen's fans. Eric had a great season fighting. And... Uh, that's about it. That's all I have for you for this uh, this episode of Seasons in Review, Eric Cairns, 2001-02. Uh, let's see. I can go over the fights again. Just uh, rattle them off for you in case you forgot as we've been going here. And again, I say we. I mean I have been going here for almost two hours. A preseason fight against Turner Stevenson of the Devils. Uh, Todd Fedorik in Philadelphia. Matthew Barnaby at the Coliseum. Uh, Steve McKenna at the Coliseum, uh, Joey Tedarenko and Peter Worrell in the same game at the Coliseum, 
Uh, Sandy McCarthy at MSG. Uh, let's scroll, 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 scroll. Stefan Kintal at the Coliseum. Steve McKenna at the Coliseum. Uh, then you had the incident with Theo Fleury and Manny Malhotra and Dale Purinton at the Garden. Uh, Ty Domi at the Coliseum. Dennis Bonvey at the Coliseum. Uh, Jeff Odgers in Atlanta. Jody Shelley at Columbus. Rob Ray in Buffalo. And then, of course, the playoff fight against Shane Corson at the Coliseum. So uh, that's all I have for you about uh, Eric Cairns from 2001-02. I hope that you people enjoyed this. I hope Beer and Soup 82. I hope this is what you uh, you were hoping for. I hope I did a season some justice. And again, Eric Cairns will be on the show at some point. I can promise you that. I just cannot tell you when. But stay tuned. Obviously, when he comes on the show, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be must listen. And again, not because of the host. So to everybody out there, everybody have a great week and stay safe. And I will see you next Monday.